Hello and welcome back to our podcast, episode number four. Today we have Kobe Falcon with us. And Kobe Falcon, if you don't know already, he's a great YouTuber. He creates a lot of tutorials around many topics like React.js, Next.js, Jamstack, etc. He's a developer advocate and so much more. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss different topics like Next.js, Jamstack, and also we talked a little bit about his journey to become a developer's advocate. And if you, just like us, have no idea about what it entails, it will be a great episode for you. Yeah, we absolutely had no idea on what Jamstack means, what developer advocate means, how you can become that and so much more. So you have to listen to this podcast to the very end because in the very end, we also talk about how you can be a better programmer in your career with using things like GitHub GitHub. and so much more. So stick till the end. So what the hell are we waiting for? Let's get right into the podcast. So uh, welcome, welcome Kobe to our channel, The Programmer Couple, and thank you so much for taking the time out to come on, to uh, accept our invite and to come to the channel for a chit chat. Exactly. This is the first time we are meeting, uh, obviously virtually, but this is the first time we are interacting, I guess, in almost any way. So first of all, we heard the good news that you have a baby, uh, a new baby in the house. So congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a fun ride, challenging, but a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the first time uh, YouTube recommended your video to us was about like uh, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, and the first time I saw you saw you on on YouTube, I thought that you are still a kid who goes to college. You you look so young. <laughs> yeah. You, you look like you are 18, 19, or maybe 20 years old. And uh, th- then we saw some of your conversations. Yeah, with, uh, we we followed um, Francesco and uh, Anya and uh, the, uh, James Quick. James Quick and so Dorian. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, we saw you have been working for 10, 15 years, oh. and we were like, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the baby face, and I can't grow any, <laughs> I can't grow a beard, so that's probably part of the reason too. <laughs> uh, that, no, it, it works well for you, though. <laughs> well, that's appreciate good. it. <laughs> Yeah. So, so how's your um, how's your life uh, with the new baby? How's your work life balance? How do you do uh, all that? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's because uh, we, we need to try to figure out our schedule between my wife and myself about how we can, you know, give enough attention to uh, our son and at the same time try to work. Right? It's it's yeah. challenging and it's definitely not traditional nine to five hours like you would typically work. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate that my company has been supportive about having a flexible schedule. So I, you know, I try to get the work done when I can. Um, mm-hmm. I do end up finding the time, but might be really, really late at night sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so your schedule must be uh, crazy right now. You, you are active on YouTube, you are making courses, you are on Twitter and you also do a full-time job where we have heard you are you are a developer advocate. We'll get into that a, uh, a little later, but uh, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. It must be a super <laughs> crazy schedule. Yeah, it's funny about the course because I was actually trying to finish that before the baby came and I was fortunate that I was able to because um, we were like at a time, was like a race for time to try to get that together because uh, I, I knew that would be too stressful to try to work on it after. So I was fortunate I was able to and then it just kind of launched afterwards. Yeah. But. 
Uh, it's great. Uh, I kind of think that we missed the first step. So yes. like for those who are <laughs> listening to you for the first time, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, like a little bit of introduction? Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Colby Fayok. I'm a developer advocate at Apple Tools, uh, which means I do a lot of content creation, educational content creation um, through things like YouTube videos. I write blog posts, uh, stream here and there. Um, before that, I was a front-end engineer and UX designer. So um, that kind of led me towards wanting to teach people about the work that I do. And that's what mm -hmm. where I came in to be a developer advocate. Okay, interesting. Amazing. So uh, maybe I'm a little confused. Did you say that making YouTube videos and teaching people is part of your job? Or is it separate? No, it's it's definitely part of the job. Um, oh, wow. Before, okay, before my role, it was separate because uh, I was kind of trying to build a portfolio to look out for that kind of job. But yeah, developer advocacy, um, you know, content creation isn't just the only thing uh, about that kind of job, but it's definitely part of it. Because uh, mm -hmm. ultimately, like as a role of a developer advocate, we're trying to help other developers learn different tools or, you know, solve their problems that they're having with their own work. So yeah. whether that's, you know, helping somebody with, uh, Apple tools, which is a visual testing, uh, platform, um, mm -hmm. whether it's helping somebody with that or some of the other work I do, like getting people up and running with Next.js. Um, it's really just advocate. I mean, it's right in the title, right? It's advocating for the yeah. developers in the community as much as I can. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've been meaning to ask you this, that what comprises, so like the title uh, developer advocate, but like I wanted to know like what does the job consist of? For sure. And it really depends on also the company that you go to. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the people who are kind of in it to help the community really see it as a role that works for the community instead of like just another way for the company to market their product, right? It's really ultimately helping the community. And yeah. By doing so, you're ultimately helping build that trust and value for the team that you're working on behalf of, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, th that's pretty awesome. Uh, but let's say someone uh, listening or watching this uh, video or podcast would be thinking that they can get into this field as an advocate. I, I guess that is not the ideal scenario. Uh, I guess uh, being an advocate means you are experienced for at least a few years uh, the years don't really matter, but basically your experience, you have, you know, some problems that real developers will face or do face. So uh, it's not a path that you can simply jump into, but maybe uh, with the career, when the career move, moves on, you can uh, maybe, you know, try that. I think that's interesting because there's a lot of conversations around that. Like, um, so from my experience, I come off from being like a lead engineer and designer. Um, mm -hmm. So I do come with a lot of actual engineering experience where I can help actually put into context a lot of the problems that people are trying to solve, where I still think there is a role for people who don't necessarily have that experience because they still mm -hmm. are able to have a lot of empathy for people who are at the beginning of their career. But there is yeah. something to be said about having that engineering experience because ultimately being able to have some of that context means you can help them in ways that somebody might not if they don't have that. Yeah, uh, makes sense, makes sense, yeah. Okay, and is there like a qualification sort of thing, like uh, some uh, minimum uh, experience or like a qualification that a person who would like to be a, who would like to be like an advocate would require for this kind of role? 
I don't think there's any kind of strict, uh, like strict numbers around that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, I've seen people get positions who don't have that experience and do really well in the, in the job because they're, you know, they're very self-motivated to learn the stuff yeah. so that they can help others. Um, it's, it's really just dependent on the person and the company because all also like the companies have different th- ways that they want to actually, uh, you, you know, work with that person in order to mm-hmm. advocate for the community. So maybe that is building video courses like I'm doing, or maybe it's writing yeah. blog posts, or maybe it's going to every single conference uh, on the web, uh, you know, on the earth when the world <laughs> is actually working again. Um, yeah. You know, th- there's, there's a bunch of different ways that people can advocate for the development community. Um, so it's, it's really just kind of dependent on what they kind of need together. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, uh, no, it t- totally makes sense. And now we at least have a better idea and maybe our viewers ha- as well, what yeah, a developer what it actually, actually entails. is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, on your YouTube channel, on Twitter or all other social media platforms where you're active, uh, what kind of content do you usually post? Are you make, uh, We know you are a big fan of React, Next.js. But, and Jamstack. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. Jamstack. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, so, uh, so do, do you usually make courses, tutorials, like if people want to learn something from you, uh, what can they expect? Yeah, recently it's been a lot of content geared around Next.js, but um, when I say that, I've been using Next.js and React kind of as like the underlying tool of the things that I teach. Um, so for instance, uh, some of the stuff that I'm teaching is like, um, the one thing is working with browser events, and that not doesn't necessarily have to do with Next.js, but I use Next.js as the way to spin up an application, um, just because that's kind of my framework of choice right now. Um, but I, I really enjoy kind of kind of finding a bunch of tools that might have be challenging for somebody to actually integrate into the project and mm-hmm. kind of guide them as to how you can actually get that up and running. Perfect. Sure, and for those who don't know, um, what exactly is Next.js? I know you use it mm. with React, and it's a framework. Sure. So, I'll kinda, and, yeah, yeah. So I'll kind of start at like the bottom. So, like React is the UI framework, right? Where yes. you're actually mm-hmm. kind of templating out the project. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, they have their own kind of tool called Create React App, which spins up a next uh, a React application, um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. What it does is it ends up compiling the application out into like a single file where the application loads kind of a single page app, if you've ever heard that expression. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But what Next.js does is kind of take that up another level and similar to mm-hmm. other frameworks like Gatsby, if you've ever heard of that one. Um, yeah. But what it does is it provides a richer develop- development and browser experience on top of that, where it can do mm-hmm. things like pre-render pages, it can statically yeah. compile pages, um, which is really geared towards providing like a better experience for the people who are visiting the application. And also Mm -hmm. it really helps with things like performance, SEO. Um, There's just a lot of benefits on top of that, but it provides a layer on top of React that makes it easier to build a lot of the things you would expect from a web Mm -hmm. application in 2021. Yeah, uh, like I recently started using Next.js in my, I used to recently switch jobs and now I'm using uh, Next.js. Earlier, I used to work with Angular more, and I mm. loved it. And I, do, I know that you are a React fan, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I, I have been using both, and uh, it's just my personal preference. I do still prefer Angular more. I think it's more yeah. uh, structured, but uh, mm. but, but uh, both both of them are great uh, frameworks or libraries, and uh, I mean they do what what it's meant to do: single page applications. 
With Next.js, exactly. though, uh, I like that we have like Node.js and React all in the same project. Like it's uh, it's all in one kind of application. We have server-side rendering. But but for those who might be confused, is it is it let's say your first page that is loaded by server, like server-side rendered, and then is it a f- f- uh, single-page application from then on uh, after that, or is it a server-side rendered each and every page as long as the user is on it? So that's a good question. Um, so my under, <laughs> actually, I haven't really dug into, like, I'm, I'm 90% sure of this answer, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. sure it's a single page application once it hits the browser. But I can't say yeah. that I've ever, like, 100% confirmed that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that it typically works is once you hit the browser, the browser takes yeah. over and it'll preload, like, smaller resources, which will help mm-hmm. uh, hydrate the next pages so that you can have those page to page navigations really quickly all inside mm-hmm. of the browser without having to make that additional request. So exactly. I'm like, I'm like 99% sure that's yeah. the case, but. <laughs> yes, same here. Even I'm not 100% sure. I've only been using it like, like since a couple of months. And I do know that single page applications have a great advantage that once it's loaded in the browser, we don't have to fetch anything ag- again, maybe just yeah. some JSON objects uh, which are needed for the page, but we don't really have to fetch all the things, the whole page uh, again and again. But I also do know that uh, server-side rendered first page will really impact performance and will really help you in SEO and everything. So that, mm-hmm. that's an interesting concept. Maybe we'll look into it after this interview. But uh, yeah, uh, we need to confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely an interesting one. And the nice thing about that is in addition to being able to provide those like extra requests in the browser to load the additional pages, not only do they load it when you try to click through, they try to preload it intelligently. So if they try to predict which routes you're going to hit next, and if they can mm-hmm. predict that route, they're going to try to start loading those resources. So ultimately, the experience for the person in the browser is going to the person mm-hmm. visiting your application is going to have a better experience. That's very interesting. So I have heard of lazy loading in which we simply wait till the user clicks on something and then we load the page. Then there's Uh eager loading combined with lazy loading where you load the first page, but then you wait uh, for user to do something. And in the background, you uh, fetch all the pages. But what you are saying is that, for example, I'm on page number one and page number one has links to page number two and three. So we know the user cannot go anywhere else. So let's download two and three. And not so it's 97 others. Is that, is so that to be clear, like it, it doesn't just like automatically go through and download all the things like it tries mm-hmm. to predict. So like if you're okay. about to click on a, on a particular button, right? Like maybe it's going to start mm-hmm. loading those resources to make it a little bit oh, faster. Wow. wow. That's okay. interesting. That's very interesting. I had no clue. So, Thanks for telling us. Yeah. But how does it, how does it predict? Uh, I mean, does it use uh, AI ML, some kind of predictive algorithm? Like what's the, behi- what's behind the scenes? I don't know the technical bits okay. behind it. I, I would imagine it's some kind of um, like handler detection on the actual yeah. elements to try to mm. determine like where the links are yeah. Um, and yeah, you know if somebody exactly. goes near that. Yeah. My guess, but I know be, there's my, my, yeah. So, sorry for cutting you off. My guess would oh, be no. let, let's say there's a form, and in that form there are five different fields. As soon as the user starts maybe filling up field number one, 
they, so, okay, they kind of infer that the uh, obvious choice would be to fill the second field after that and then the and third submit field the form so, in the end. yeah okay maybe yeah. i mean we, and i know there's <laughs> there's also definitely third party tools that i've seen i i can't mm-hmm. remember what the name of it is but i remember i i think gatsby used it or um okay. where you can integrate that kind of experience where you're kind of preloading intelligently based off of uh predictive patterns of the people who are using the application so that you can create that faster experience yeah okay that's very interesting yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so the next thing that uh, we really want to talk about is the Jamstack because yeah, like okay. it's really new for us, and I think it's the first time that we heard this term was like yeah. from you talking like we are clueless. Where, yeah, <laughs> in one of the interviews, we heard that you're really heavy on Jamstack and you really love it, and you're creating like a lot of content around it yeah. uh, lately. So um, and and all the newsletters I follow, uh, maybe maybe even you don't know this, uh, I follow like three or four newsletters, and all of them are now. All of, everyone is talking about Jamstack, and I'm like, what? What the hell it is? Uh, I have no. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So enlighten us, uh, please. <laughs> sure, sure. So it's you know it's kind of evolving, but it kind of stemmed from the idea of being able to serve like a website or a web app um, statically from the first request. So um, you were talking about server side rendering before, right? Where you would hit the mm-hmm. server, it would render that content and bring it back, um, as opposed to delivering that straight from a CDN, where you're just requesting a static HTML file from that CDN or from storage, so that it's not actually doing any of that processing on the back end of the server, right? It is going to be very very fast so that it's just that static file that you're grabbing. Um, In the background, what's happening is you have a few different options where um, tools like Gatsby will go out or even Next.js will uh, statically compile all those different routes so that somebody can hit that static page off of the CDN. So ultimately, the goal is to serve a static file from a CDN in some fashion, which will deliver a faster response inside of the browser when somebody's trying to visit the site, as opposed to hitting the server to do that. But it's kind of evolving because serverless functions, if you're familiar with the concept, um, that's a, it's not the same thing, but it kind of ties in really nicely to it. So people are kind of wondering how that actually kind of melts together and where the lines are actually drawn from what a Jamstack site is. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's interesting. And I don't really, I'm not really sure where the kind of Jamstack gods are going to go with that answer, but um, that's kind of where it came from. Hmm. Okay. So I, uh, now I know a little bit more about Jamstack, but now I also have a lot of questions. So, (laughs) okay. So uh, first of all, you said it's for static websites, right? Now, static websites, uh, I know when I was in school or high school, static websites were just called HTML, CSS. Mm -hmm. Is it the same today? Uh, So that's what... That's what gets delivered to the browser. And it can include the JavaScript files, to be clear. Um, so like it's just static assets in the way that it's served on that first request, that first byte. But after that, it's just like any other single page application that we're talking about, where you can do all your dynamic stuff right inside of the browser. So it's really just about that first request that's going to be static. But after that, it can be as dynamic as you want. You can make any request in the browser to hydrate your application and provide that dynamic experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Does first that make sense? request, yeah. Yes. So the first request will always be the views, the HTML and the CSS, and not the content or like anything else that's that's dynamically fetched from the server. Well, it depends on how your application is. And the beautiful thing is the tools like Gatsby and Next.js is what they do is they 
pre-compile all those different HTML files. So if you have a thousand blog posts, it's going to create a thousand HTML files for you where people can visit that specific HTML file and then it hydrates the rest of the application. Kind of similar to what we were talking about server-side. It's just it does that at compile time as opposed to request time. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So I think when we are you are building a blog or something like that, just React, Angular, or Vue, that's not the best kind of uh, website that you can, uh, best kind of framework, framework that you can move forward with when you want to want a blog because you don't want to download the complete React or Angular framework when someone visits your website. So that's where server-side rendered or Jamstack websites come into the picture. But uh, is Jamstack a good option for all kind of projects? Like, is there some kind of projects that it's not good with? So I... I would definitely be hesitant to say that it's like the perfect solution for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do feel like there's a lot of potential that really you can solve kind of any kind of project with the Jamstack. That said, mm-hmm. it, it really depends on your particular use case. Um, like one good example is an e-commerce site. Like if you have maybe like five products and that might take a very short time to actually compile out all those pages. Whereas if you have like a million project products, like you don't want to wait uh, for all those different products products to actually get compiled out. Now, that said, uh, tools like Netlify and Vercel are coming out with uh, different ways of handling those things. Uh, With Netlify, it's called distributed persistent rendering, where the idea is it's not going to build every single route when you deploy a site. It's only going to deploy or build those routes when you first hit that route. So it'll hit it, it'll get cached, and then for everybody else, it'll be that static experience. Oh wow! Okay, uh, I still feel. So we just that, went into a wormhole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I we'll definitely uh, read and learn more about Jamstack. Uh, if if we love it, maybe we'll even make some videos on it. Oh, there, <laughs> on, yeah. on there we go. There we go. But, yeah, but but I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Let's say I I'm using Angular, right? I have mm-hmm. I have uh, basically uh, I'm using TypeScript or JavaScript to basically fetch JSON objects to be able to show something to the user. So as you said, mm-hmm. if I have a million products or let's say I I'm, I have a website which with which I can control my whole house, let's say I have a million devices, I have hotels and everything which I want to control. For those, is it still a good option to be using Jamstack? Uh, or is it better to just use Angular? Because let's say I'm on device number one and I just want to turn off the light, like mm-hmm. because that's a very heavy requested uh, kind of. I'm making a lot of requests with my backend and I'm only fetching, let's say, device number one and not device number one million and one. So I, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to uh, think, like I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to think out loud. Is it still a, be- uh, a a good framework, a good option for that? But uh, I guess I'll have to read more about it. So yeah, I. I still think it with that many number of uh, items that you're trying to work with, like it, it's kind of where it starts hitting its limitations. Mm-hmm. However, with the newer technology that the different hosting and deployment providers are coming out with, it's becoming less and less of a problem. And those limitations are slowly getting peeled back. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of an interesting space to be in right now because of things yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good question. Yeah. And 
we, we know jamstack is definitely hot like uh, we, we are hearing it like it, it's like mm-hmm. one year ago we, i never heard about it and since last one year that's the only thing i'm hearing everywhere <laughs> yep yeah. yeah i think the thing that i like the most about it is i feel like there's a bit of uh, of course any web app can be complex but there's a bit of simplicity like and beauty about how the projects are actually served because if you're doing it in a truly static way like a lot of the applications that i build i dump it into static storage via Netlify and Netlify serves it. So I don't have to worry about things like servers and maintaining any of that stuff. I just, I compile out my website, I put it in that static storage and I can set it and forget it. It's, there's kind of a beautiful simplicity to that. Yeah. Okay, so Jamstack itself comprises of some tools that we need to use to host the website and to like code the website. Is that it? So... Kind of. I mean, Netlify is probably the biggest player in the Jamstack game right now. I mean, they kind mm-hmm. of coined the term, uh, but Netlify is definitely yeah. not required in order to do that. Um, it's really uh, the main gist is being able to serve those static files from a CDN. Um, so that's where the lines get blurred. Some people mm-hmm. say like, well, can't it be server rendered, but cached yeah. with a CDN in front of it? Um, it kind of goes against the philosophy of it, I feel, but you know, it, it is what it is. But um, the nature of it is there's a lot of different static storage options out there, right? I mean, even like your desktop computer, if you have an HTML file there, like that's that's static storage, right? Um, yeah. But things yeah. like AWS S3, if you're familiar with it, or mm-hmm. like every hosting provider has their own static solution. It's just Netlify makes it really easy to deploy the sites um, because you can hook up your GitHub repository and it'll handle that entire process for you, which is yeah. a really nice thing. So let's say you have to choose one. You have to choose Next.js, Basic React, and some kind of Jamstack. Uh, what would you choose? So Next.js is definitely on is my framework of choice right now. I'm I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's just I, I really enjoy the the like developer APIs that they have for working with things like data and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's definitely where I'm at right now. Okay, perfect, perfect. But who knows what's coming in the future? Yeah, no, that's true, that's true, that's very true. Like a a few years ago, I guess maybe three years or four years ago, Vue was the hot topic and everyone was talking about Mm. Vue and it's like Vue is better than Angular React, that's a new thing. And uh, same with blockchain, maybe a couple years ago, everyone wanted to learn blockchain. So yeah, uh, maybe if something better comes up, we'll we'll all be learning that and talking about that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and there... There really is still a strong, vibrant view community. It's just, yes, uh, it's true. just not something I've ever spent the time to dig into. I, I, I enjoy working with React so much, um, and I, I probably should give it more of a chance. But I just, I, I feel really productive, and I really enjoy working with React. So that's yeah. why I kind of just stick with it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, does Jamstack stand for something? Does it have a full form? So. <laughs> That's a funny question as well because originally, like when they first started marketing it, it stood for JavaScript APIs and markup. And I I still oh. use that as an acronym, the terminology, but they're trying to push away from that because um, from their perspective, I guess it causes confusion when you're trying to explain what it is because a Jamstack site doesn't require JavaScript, right? It can be literally just HTML and CSS, and it's a Jamstack site because it's a static site that you're serving. Um, so that's why they're trying to push away from it. But I still think it's a, I still like to kind of position as J- JavaScript API and markup because a lot of the tooling and things in the ecosystem still have a lot of JavaScript comprised of it and ultimately enriching applications with APIs. Yeah. 
pretty good. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you said it, it can be only HTML and CSS. So how would you code the back end if you need routes, if you need APIs? So I mean, you got to have one programming language to code the back end. Well, I mean, it can be a bunch of static links to HTML files, right? Um, yeah. And I think under the hood, a lot of these uh, applications, I think a lot of them support uh, no JavaScript in the browser, where those links on the page, the routes that get built out, it would just link to a separate HTML file. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't load that in the browser. It would just still make another server request to load the next page, like a traditional mm. website in the past. Oh, so it will um, be good stuff. Good so stuff. we're like back to square one. That's what. You right, 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 right. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. but the nice thing is, if you enjoy develop, like there's still something to be said again about building a website by hand in an HTML file versus using yeah. some of these more powerful frameworks, because um, it does give you a lot of options for how you can really mm -hmm. uh, enhance your development workflow. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, I, I'm the kind of person who, uh, like, I do front end and back end both, but I don't enjoy being creative with front end. So, it, so mm -hmm. if I have to make a table or if I have to make a button, I would just go to the material library, like React Material or Angular Material, and I would just <laughs> do the basic stuff. Like, I just want my website to work. I don't want to make animations or anything. I just like, like, my philosophy is if something exists, just use it. If you want a Fair table, just, 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 just don't, reinvent, <laughs> don't reinvent the wheel, yeah, basically. Exactly, but, exactly. But for that reason, my websites are really similar to each other. Like if you see one of my websites, you'll be able to guess the other one is also by me. That's the drawback, but uh, for sure. No, I'm the same way. I, I wouldn't, because... I'm like I'm still like a designer, but I'm not like mm -hmm. a creative designer. I'm more of like a functional designer where yeah. I can create yeah. things that are very usable, but not necessarily the most creative and beautiful things ever. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing because uh, you know, as somebody that kind of watches Twitter, I have a lot of friends and follow a lot of profiles that are posting these really crazy creative development thing yeah. and it just kind of blows my mind with what they're doing um True. but yeah i'm i'm very simple with my work <laughs> yeah same here same here and, 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 and this girl over here she doesn't even like front end <laughs> she, uh, she, no yeah no <laughs> i'm mostly in the back end okay that's okay. my comfort zone <laughs> like, are you are you still using like javascript with node or are you using node, a different language yeah okay so okay. i use node.js javascript and python uh, yeah, that's that's my comfort zone. That's my bread and butter. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was saying that once she worked in the front end and she was like, someone is asking me to change the position of this button and increase the padding by two pixels. That that's just waste of time and everything. She <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I've I have worked with a lot of teams where a lot of the back end developers were afraid of touching the front end and yeah. afraid of touching any CSS. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. At the same time, as a front end engineer, sometimes like the back end languages, like I remember, I don't know if you're familiar with Perl. I worked at a company yeah. where per, it was a Perl back end and mm -hmm. I just I, I couldn't be productive at all in it. Like I, I yeah. tried, I tried, but I just couldn't do anything. Yeah, no, that's. That. <laughs> yeah, it happens. I mean, you kind of have. I would I would not say comfort zone because like some people tend to take it negatively, but like kind of yeah. a preference for front yeah, end back end. Sure. I mean, it's okay to have a preference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I was interviewing uh, recently because uh, as I told you, I just uh, switched jobs, and uh, one of the company they they asked me, "What do you prefer, front end or back end?" And I was like. I really do prefer being full stack because I like to see how the backend works and then how to use it in the front end. And they were like, 
no 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 you are just saying that we want your preference <laughs> everyone likes something more than the other and i was like yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah, yeah. no i i could totally see that you would enjoy that part of it see i'm the opposite i mm-hmm. i can be productive as a full stack developer but i just really enjoy working with the front end so i i it's you know if i have to like i enjoy being dangerous with it where i can yeah. do things with it but I, it's just not something that i enjoy doing if i if i can't help it oh that's fair that's fair so since like uh, programming is like an evergreen ever growing field yeah. so we kind of like ask this question if to everyone because we want to gather different opinions and see like how it can help uh, the viewers and us and uh, since it's like you know ever growing field how do you keep up with the new tools and new trends in exactly. technology like like a few like, years ago angular js was everything exactly then angular just completely shift and <laughs> came uh, uh, like uh, there was like angular 2 and 3 which was like completely different yeah, and than then react angular js right. split yeah and, now we have jamstack, jamstack and, and yeah right, so right. who knows what we're going to have and, and and these are just one of the few ones the major ones but there are, i know there are others as well like there are, and even small libraries uh, like there are so many so yeah so like uh, what's your schedule how do you do it <laughs> yeah no it's it's challenging it feels like every day there's another new tool and framework out there but um mm-hmm. i think most of the, most of the stuff that i see is on twitter i kind of have mm-hmm. twitter going on in the background people who have seen my screen before call me crazy because i literally have notifications that keep going up every time a tweet comes in the tweet deck um but like that's that's kind of where i get like my development news and stuff but i also follow a few different newsletters um mm-hmm. there's like a like a javascript newsletter a general front end one um that way i can kind of keep my ears to the ground and see what people are talking about in the community um the one that thing that's nice about being a content creator is since i create a lot of these tutorials about different tools i i kind of get to learn it as i'm doing that so um if true. there's a particular library like i'll learn it just so that i can make that intro because i'm kind of interested in doing it and by doing so i'm also helping other people with it right so um it's you know it's a kind of mix of stuff but i'd say definitely twitter and newsletters for me hmm. uh we recently joined twitter so like a few months ago we never used twitter we have always heard about okay. it but we had we had no clue uh, no uh, basically it was we just, had uh, a clue ignorance. like yeah we were ignorance. just not on <laughs> yeah. right uh, Yeah. like right. not not this youtube channel but not even our personal profiles basically we never downloaded twitter that, that's <laughs> that, that's what i'm trying to say and so so let's say you have twitter and you get like 100 notifications someone is talking about laravel php perl uh, angular react etc then but how do you actually decide what to learn like do you uh, are you a kind of dangerous person who likes to uh, experiment with everything and then see what you like or or like what, the other way the, around Yeah so I try to kind of filter out like mm-hmm. having to see every single thing instead mm-hmm. like as those notifications come up like if something catches my eye I'll open it up yeah. and maybe I'll save an article in a new tab and maybe I'll get to it later other times <laughs> I end up getting too many tabs and I have to close them all um but yeah it's <laughs> it's an ever going cycle with I that feel you. um but uh it's like I definitely like to learn my- Uh, new things but i also try to be weary of just jumping on every single thing cuz mm-hmm. i know like sometimes it's not worth spending time learning every single new tool cuz you really don't know what the future of that tool is um that's and that's true. not to say that not ev- like every single one doesn't have potential it's just mm-hmm. trying to find things that will be more meaningful for the work that i'm doing and for helping the people in the community that i'm working with 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, like there's so many new technologies and, and frameworks that come out every year, every every month, if I must say. And yeah, uh, yeah not all of them are worth spending your time on. They're, yeah, a, a very good advice that I heard uh, once. I don't remember who told me that, but like it was the theory of repetition. So if there is a framework that catches your eye once, but like if you, if uh, for example, you follow a newsletter, but if they repeatedly like mention that particular mm. framework or that tool, so you really yeah. want to check that out oh right, I, think right. was, i think it was mark thompson it was mark okay yeah so yeah so that's that what makes mentioned. Sense. Yeah. So, exactly so like if you see it all over the place and multiple times so that's when you really want to check that like out yeah. like jump stack yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. it's about time and, now <laughs> yep and that's how i was with react like years ago like when it was first coming out it's just it kept you know, catching my eye every time people were talking about on newsletters, you know, mm -hmm. like CSS tricks, smashing magazine. And yeah. um, like for a while I didn't spend a ton of time in it, but eventually like when I had the opportunity to start playing with it, that's when I really started to, because that's when I realized there was such a big community already with it, even when it was super young. Um, so I knew that there was going to be momentum with something that that's going to be still relevant in the future. So that's when I knew like spending my time on it wasn't going to be for nothing. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So, um, so an interesting question that we have, uh, like we get this question uh, from a lot of people. But the question is that, uh, what do you think are the different ways that a programmer can earn money from? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so like, I know there's like 95 and or like W2 income in the US and uh, mm -hmm. like 95 jobs everywhere. And also you could, tu you could tutor people in the field yeah, of computer science and like you could do freelancing. But I want to hear like some innovative ways, if you know about them, like some creative ways mm -hmm. that, uh, can, that are lucrative for people. Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I mean, there's definitely a lot of different ways. Um, you know, as a content creator, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of writing, right? Like if you're writing a blog post and you actually start to get serious about it, there's a ton of different publications out there that really want uh, people to start writing for. And even mm -hmm. some of the big ones out there, they'll even pay you like it might be little little fractions like as you build up like the actual audience on it but they'll pay you mm -hmm. as you write more and more and more for it um so like that's one way another way is kind of uh i know with the open source world it's not really as prevalent anymore but you can still sell like yeah. libraries and uh applications um where maybe it's just a simple five dollar application you put together that yeah. does something really handy it can do one single thing really handy um but mm -hmm. sell it for five dollars and maybe people are going to really enjoy working with it and using it um yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's 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 really great. So like you said, writing and like still developing. Since we're all programmers and coders and we like to build stuff, so yeah. it's yeah. good. It's good to like show your talent and maybe like um, while you do a hobby project, you might as well go out and make some money off of it. So yeah, that yeah. would be great. Exactly, and I mean like. I'm thinking about the application part of it. Like I, I'm not like an app developer in terms of, like a Mac app or a Windows app, but like I'm thinking about a lot of the small single use applications that I built. And like I'm I'm willing to pay a couple dollars for them if they're doing something that's really going to help me in my day-to-day -day yeah. workflow, right? So that's something that people can because like once you make it, you can put it out there and see if people will gravitate toward it towards it. Yeah. Oh exactly. makes sense. Makes sense. Exactly. Sure. It's a great, great idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh so since we're uh, talking about developing applications and like hosting and everything, so um, there's this tool GitHub and GitLab and like yeah. Git 
basically everyone uses it yeah. uh, uses it so uh, how important do you think is like mm. um so in addition to your front end development skills and back end development skills how important do you think is uh, to know git and gitlab because in today's world like everyone uses git and gitlab yeah no i i think it's really important and like it's something that like kind of thinking about it, take for granted a little bit, because I mm -hmm. feel like it's really important for uh, working with other people primarily, but even like working on my own projects, I find it helpful. Cause I remember back in the day, like years and years ago, I would store like different zip folders of yeah. old websites. Cause I was trying to version it. Right. And I never, mm -hmm. I no longer have to do that. I no longer have to worry about is my code on my computer going to get wiped out and I'm going to lose this website I've been working on for 10 years. Yeah. It's now on GitHub and I don't have to worry about that. But on top of that, you know, just, even learning past the foundation of Git itself is what it opens the doors up to when you have GitHub repositories and the yeah. integrations and tools you can use on top of that, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, if you're working in any kind of team environment, I think Git is like imperative to be able to get familiar with. That's true. And uh, not a long time ago, both of us students, like we have only been working full time for two or three years. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were students. And uh, we know that a lot of great programmers who were doing masters with us in uh, in Canada, uh, they have been working for many years and everything, but they didn't have a GitHub profile. Like some hmm. someone came from India, someone came from Brazil, and they worked for three, four, five years, but they didn't have a GitHub profile. And I asked them like, why don't you have? And they were like, we don't need GitHub because when we go to the to any company, they have their own Git GitHub, GitLab, etc. And we just use huh. it there. Why do we need it? for ourselves. Why do I need to make my own personal profile? But I mm. really think it's really important for each and every developer to have their own profile. Uh, so what's your opinion on this? Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting perspective. And I can kind of see it in two different ways, because it really depends on the company and the person that you're dealing with. Um, for in terms of like job searching um on one hand like if you find somebody who is going to take the time and look through your work like having a git profile that shows the different projects that you're working on and that you do care about the work yeah. that you're doing like that goes a long way and can really impress yeah. somebody and show your personality whereas you know if they don't find that it's just you know it might not necessarily be like a negative mark it's just it's there's not something there to kind of go above and beyond what they know about you from just your resume. Right. And part of hiring somebody is trying to get as much context about somebody as possible so that you can That's make true. the right decision in hiring them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I would see uh, like every company would prefer that, you know, Git or GitHub and having a GitHub yeah. account with a few projects on, even if they're not fully complete or fully functional is a good, uh, idea that a company will get in, sure. just 10, in just 10 seconds of looking at a resume if you share your github link at least you are on github yeah yeah as you mentioned like in the beginning uh, of your answer that people take it for granted like they they just want to focus on uh, they just focus on like how to develop the application but like forget sometimes they tend to forget this part of like hosting it somewhere mm -hmm. or yeah. um yep. Exactly. So as as we talked, like it serves two purpose. One would be if you have projects on any version control system, be it Git, Bitbucket, anything. So it will serve two purpose. First would be like you will tell the your prospect, uh, your potential employer that you know these version control systems, mm -hmm. you know about them. And the second thing would be like they will also tell them, it will also tell them that you have interests and hobbies outside of course curriculum as yeah. well. Because you do have some hobby projects that you hosted there on like uh, these systems. That's true. 
you have kind exactly. of an online resume exactly yeah exactly. exactly yeah i i i tend to when i'm looking for screening through applications like i'll definitely open up the github profile and kind of look around mm-hmm. and again i won't count it negative if somebody doesn't have a profile or doesn't have anything on there but mm-hmm. I, it does help me kind of get more insight into the type of person that we're talking to for sure for sure okay. exactly so this is kind of the final section of our podcast that we like to call the coders quattro yeah. so here we ask <laughs> it's funny. so here we ask uh, for same quest we ask for same question to like all our guests we're gonna go towards the order of uh, decreasing difficulty so the first okay. question <laughs> So the first question would be um what framework technology or language so it's a slash between uh, all these uh, terms so what framework slash technology slash language do you think a new developer should learn hmm. Hmm. well i'm very biased towards react of course um but in terms of nextjs and other tools like i don't know if nextjs is actually the best for like a beginner like gatsby's really nice for beginners because it has so much kind of baked in but um mm-hmm. Probably React just because I'm so biased towards it. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Makes sense. Yes. So um, the next one is um, when you want to learn something new, what do you prefer, watching videos or reading the documentation? Ooh, um, <laughs> I think uh, it depends on the documentation. I'll say videos because you know some documentation isn't that great, uh, so it's yeah. really hit or miss. And if if it isn't great, I'll definitely you know head over to YouTube and see if I can find somebody that can mm-hmm. talk about it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's or I think my first reaction is just to like um, type the topic whatever I'm working on on Google and yes, go exactly. Through, like yeah, go through the Stack Overflow links. Maybe, maybe they have like some uh, open Jira or Getty shoes. Go through that, or yep. or try to find like a do- like a video where I can just get all yeah. the information. Yeah, my first uh, is just go on YouTube, find a video. If there's a video that can summarize it in ten to fifteen minutes, that is what I'm yeah. looking at. If not, <laughs> then I th- th- if not, then I look at like Free Code Camp or Traversy Media. Like usually, there's a good course about one hour to two hour courses that I can basically dive into it's amazing how some of the youtubers and this isn't meant to like be like throw shade on any of the other youtubers but like Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how much like extra some of the youtubers put into the videos where like if they're introducing like a a simple topic but then they make like an hour-long video just you know because they're adding like their life into it um but you know that's that's their that's their goal for their videos but i think one of the things i try to do when i'm creating tutorials is i like to be very concise about it because i'm i just try to get in there and get out uh to help the person kind of learn it but it's interesting the different Mm -hmm. kind of styles that people have i have to say i've been noticing your background your setup it it looks really cool we need to learn from oh thank you we just have a wall behind us but (laughs) it's a nice looking wall though (laughs) (laughs) yeah with the door on the side (laughs) yeah so uh all right so moving on to the final question uh no not the final i think this is the third number three yeah third third question So uh, do you think going to college or university is important in the field of computers? Oh, that's another good question. Um, So I don't think in our time that there should be any sort of requirement for going to a university. Um, I I definitely don't think that that should be a requirement. Do I think that going to college or university helps people develop like as a 
human being. Yeah, I definitely do. And I definitely think there, there is like some good things about it, but I don't believe that somebody needs to go to a university to be successful in programming. Um, that's a good answer. That's a fair answer. Yeah, I think uh, that's the most common answer that we've been getting so far. The yeah. people now think it's the same viewpoint. It, and it's true. I mean, we have really good examples uh, out there to prove this point. Like, it's it's not a compulsion now if you want to be a coder, if you want to be a programmer, do mm -hmm. something in the field of computer science, like yeah. be it any domain. It's not a compulsion now to go to the university. Of course, if yeah. you do that, that will be like, it, it's great. It's going to give you a perspective. It's yeah. going to like expose you to different uh, options that mm -hmm. um yeah you can work with but like of course it's not a compulsion today you're the diy learning for because of like youtubers like yourself exactly i think i think with like university and, and i don't know if it's worth the price tag but um like you learn so much beyond the technical parts of it like of course you learn a lot about the technical parts but you mm -hmm. like i feel like you learn how to work with people you learn how to interact with others and socialize and um kind of be like a an adult that can go out and function in a real workplace. And again, I don't know if it's worth the ton of money that it is for university, at least in the United States, but um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Oh yeah. We came from India a few years ago and we were thinking about going to US first and we saw oh, really? the tuition, uh, we, we saw the tuition fee and we were like, no, yeah. no, no, not gonna happen. <laughs> especially, yeah, the, yeah. especially the international student fee. Because let's say, let's say for you, uh, I'm assuming you are a US citizen. So for you, yeah. the fee is, let's say, uh, 100,000. For us, it would be 200,000 just because we are international Whoa. students. And that's yeah. that's the conversion oh yeah like, right i mean it kills us <laughs> one us dollars equals like 70, 70 75 bucks yeah. in our currency so, so it's like no 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 that's not gonna happen <laughs> yeah that's it's i don't know it's it's hard and like i i come from a privileged place where i was able to go to school and yeah. so like i i do want to come at a per, at a perspective where like i i don't think it is required but i do definitely think that there are things that if you have the opportunity that might help you yeah for sure and th that's what i say to uh, people who ask who do ask me that should i go to a university or college and i'd ask them like what do you usually do like are you working somewhere are you uh, mm. like is, is money a problem for you and and if not then yes go to a university because otherwise you won't really do anything like it, you have to be absolutely motivated in order to learn something otherwise yeah. you won't be able to now, if you yeah. don't have a motivation and you do want to get into this field and money is not a problem, then going to university will definitely don't hurt you. Like it will only give you some positives. Because you have that compulsion there to yeah. just like, yeah, study, learn new stuff and then pass the exams. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've definitely worked with some... I'd say some of the best developers I've worked with never went to college. Um, and it's, wow. it's amazing, you know, and I'm not saying all of the best developers, I'm saying some of the best developers I've worked oh, yeah. with. Um, so it's, it's definitely not something that you need. Um, it's, for sure, for yeah. sure. Perfect. So uh, final, final question. question, what's your favorite <laughs> okay. programming language? JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. was a quick and easy one. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we kind of figured so, that out, but we still have to ask. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Uh, it was it was really nice talking to you, Colby. I mean, uh, yeah. first uh, we although we have, but we still want to thank you again for coming on our channel. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are a very no small YouTube channel and you uh, were totally on board on coming over here, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for thinking of me to bring on and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yep.